founders are constantly making decisions. But how many of those daily, often hourly decisions are truly gut-wrenchingly difficult? Every founder faces some in their career. Jeff J. Hunter, who you'll meet in this session, encountered setback after setback, each time being forced to make a choice that put him at odds with what was safe, what was comfortable, and what was predictable. In this episode, we explore how to make difficult decisions and why not making a decision is still a decision. As we jump into the time machine, you'll be inside this founder's head as he copes with situations entirely out of his control and finds power in the decisions he can. So Jeff, we're going to jump in my coaching time machine. What date are we going back to? We're in the time machine to uh, February 29th, leap day of 2016. It was the final decision when I left my corporate job and uh, I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of praying <laughs> and it was sad because I absolutely loved my job, but there came a point in time where I realized that they didn't value me and they didn't really care about my mental health and my family. And that was the last straw. Hmm. So, so what, what was going on for you in this, in this moment? Whew. Well, it was a dream job. You know, I, I got recruited by a fortune 500 company back in 2012. And, uh, I was an it project manager and uh, rose to the ranks pretty quickly within the first couple of years. I was feeling pretty important at the time. I was mentoring six people. I had a cushy six-figure job. All the golden handcuffs you could think of. I had a company car, company computer, company phone, 150% 401k match. It was perfect. It, it had a really, you know, for me, I my wife was six months pregnant and they made me relocate to Portland, Oregon. And they told me that I was filling a void that someone was leaving the company and they needed a project manager to take over that within a couple years, I should be able to transfer back down to Northern California. Well, three years later, I'm now the senior IT project manager, or should I say most senior? My title wasn't senior. I was IT project manager three, the most senior. I was mentoring six people. And in 2015, February of 2015, my dad was diagnosed with stage three, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, it was a really, really hard time. He was given the news that he probably wouldn't make it to Christmas that year. Wouldn't make it to Christmas. And I told my boss at the time, and when you work in these big corporations, they're usually a cross matrix, which means you have multiple bosses. So I had an operations manager and I had a, a, a local, you know, region director, regional manager. And I said, hey, it's only an hour flight from Sacramento to to Portland, I can do all the work that I normally do. And this is a remote job. So I would like to move back to, to California with my family. And uh, my request was denied. They said that they had no one to replace me. They had no one that could fill me in. 
and that really hurt, you know. And I asked to to move. I asked to be relocated back to California, and once again, they denied my request. At this point, you're probably thinking, you're going to quit, right? Well, I loved my job. I loved what I did, and I didn't quit. And I felt like I had responsibility to my work and my clients. And um, then it happened again in January. Oh, by the way, by the way, my my father is still alive today. I just want to throw that out there. By a miracle and all the modern technology of chemotherapy and radiation therapy, he isn't cured, but he has what they call now chronic chronic non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which means it's very slow growing and he'll probably die from something else. But then something else happened, and this is getting closer to the time when I quit. It was January, January of 2016. My wife and I find out we're going to have our second child. We're so excited. We're 10 weeks in, and uh, I made this Facebook post. What it was, it was one of the first times it really snowed really good in Portland since we lived there. And we made these snowmen. We recreated our own family. So it was me, my wife, and at the time our three-year-old. And then my wife's snowman, we made hands on it. And it was holding a little baby snowman and we put a little blanket over it. And that was like a really cool announcement picture and a post that we made and then one week later my wife started feeling like something was wrong we found out that we lost the baby at about 10 10 11 weeks that was kind of like wow that was rough my wife emotionally went through so much and i had never experienced like an emotional pain like that before and I, i requested some time off to be with my wife we had to have our child, you know, surgically removed, which as a woman, I just couldn't even imagine, you know, and I asked for a couple of days off to be with her during that operation. And my request was denied and they ended up shipping me off to Alaska to, to kick off a project. So I wasn't even there for my wife in one of the worst times ever. Her mom had to use like the Family Medical Leave Act to come and stay with her. And I just felt like absolute garbage. And that was when my wife, see, my wife always loved my job. That was when my wife started feeling, huh, maybe they, maybe this isn't right. You know? Wow. Not, so, so you're in the situation where you've really got like all the, that's a lot of individual pain points just from a personal side where you feel the company has really let you down. Yeah. And on top of that, Something that really bothered me was I had just got a promotion to that IT project manager three. And I went in and this is at the time I'm I'm mentoring three other people. And I and I'm going through all this stuff mentally and emotionally. And I come in and see I had started a side job. Well, I shouldn't say a side job. A side hustle. <laughs> because I was building virtual teams before virtual teams are cool, I realized the value of it back then. And I started doing my own projects on the side, like little websites and things like that. I've always been into like marketing and design, 
branding and stuff like that. I wasn't good at it, but I was good at managing projects. <laughs> and I started building out my own little team to do stuff like social media management, websites, things like that. And it wasn't really profitable. But in 2016, I got brought in for my yearly evaluation. I had amazing numbers. I was dealing with a lot of crap and, and all that it was going through. And after they asked how I, how I believe I self-evaluated myself for the year, and I told them, you know, we, I haven't had any negative reviews on my projects. You know, I'm mentoring all these people. I said, I did a stellar year. I would park, mark myself probably in the, you know, one of the upper quadrants, you know, you, you, you judge your entire performance in, in this Rubik cube, basically. My, I remember my regional manager just looked at me and he says, wow, that is completely on a different planet than what I thought. Because I felt you didn't do that great this year. And they brought out, they ended up right at that moment, Boop, 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 boop. They started dialing HR and they brought out this giant like 20 page pip, this performance improvement plan of how I needed to better myself. Like I like I wasn't going through enough. And that was two weeks after being promoted to a project manager three. And it was at, it was at that point in time. I remember I was that was the second time in my entire life I'd ever I ever cried at my job. That was like the hook, line, and sinker. That was the final moment where I said, okay, enough is enough. Can I be profitable in my side hustle? Do I leave my six-figure job with everything provided for me? I put in my two-week notice. It was uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, February 29th, because I had written the resignation letter the day before. <laughs> But I was like, oh, should I do it? <laughs> I had my finger hovering over the send button in Outlook. And yeah, I finally took the plunge and I did it. And then shortly after, I moved my entire family. We went and lived in the Philippines for 30 days to build out my hobby in the Philippines, which was building out my virtual assistant team to make it profitable. It took a while. <laughs> It definitely took a while. So it's interesting that you've got this very strong backstory of expecting to be a worker for someone else for the future. You've got a high loyalty to a business, which seems like it wasn't well, it wasn't repaid on multiple occasions, leading to this very painful moment, which you said was, was only the second time you cried in your career. What, what has that left you with when it comes to your company now? That was a real test, you know, 20, so I had left that company in 2016, really went all in on 2018. And actually, there were some really tough decisions back in 2018. I had a client who, <clears throat> I want to say it's probably, it's probably December of 2017. Feels like all the bad things happen like the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it was December, and, and my biggest client at the time, 
who had uh, about 15 of my team members working for them. I'm a permanent staffing solution, so we build teams for com for companies that to do specific things. This this com this company had us building out a sales enablement team. So they have their account executives and their SDRs, the sales development reps. We built out prospecting teams for them that were like finding, they were going on LinkedIn, they were using filters, they were finding Fortune 500 CEOs that, that fit a specific demographic, primarily in technology companies. They like technology companies and things like that, logistics. And our team were the ones doing all the dirty work of like finding the prospects, building out the list in their sales force, things like that. And they had gone through a huge change up. They had layoffs. They had like the fourth or fifth difference VP of sales. You know, I think that's one of the challenges looking back is like when you, when you lose that d direct contact at that company, that that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest red flags that you should start looking for stuff and securing that relationship. And I was young and ignorant and stupid in this business. And 2018 seems like such a long time ago, but I remember I got a call from the, the exiting VP of sales and he says, Hey man, you got 15 minutes. I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? He's like, yeah, you know, we've had some staffing changes and they're reevaluating all of our, third party third party contractors and you know you guys were able to, to to survive two chopping rounds over the past couple years but it looks like this time they're probably going to discontinue the contract so you're going to get a written 30 days i was like whoa at the time they were my biggest revenue source i probably had 40 team members at that time and 15 of them work for one client. So I ended up having this real kind of like depression almost. Like, wow, what am I going to do with my team? What am I going to do with 15 people who with a email written notice, they're going to lose their job in 30 days? And it was right at like December 30th or something, you know, like the end of the year, like, that's probably the fiscal year for them. That's what they were trying to evaluate their contract end and stuff like that. Lo and behold, I just wanted to disappear. I didn't tell anybody anything because I was so worried. But then there's a moral obligation inside like, well, I should probably tell them they're about to lose their job so they have 30 days to find a new one. But then I was like, these are my people and I care a lot about these people. And I'm going to find them jobs. That was my final decision, by the way, because I wrestled on it for a good week. I went through this fear, anxiety, depression. I was thinking, damn, you know, there's a lot of mouths responsible. Most of the people that work for me in the Philippines, they're the breadwinners for the family. They make more money than anyone in their family ever has generationally. Hmm. And uh, I made a Facebook post and I was just it was it was a very vulnerable gut-wrenching moment as a CEO to admit that you were losing your biggest client. But I did. I made a post saying that I have 15 people that I need to get. I have 15 people. And I wrote this long post about 
what they were doing already and what other things they could do, gave them a bunch of different ideas. And I said, look, I'm going to be doing a personal strategy call with anybody who comments on this post that is interested. If you've ever wanted to have a virtual assistant, a dedicated assistant in your business, and my calendar blew up. I had calls back to back, five, six, seven, eight calls a day sometimes <clears throat> for two weeks of people that were interested, not only just because they wanted a VA, but also because they wanted to help help me out of the situation. And that was when I first realized how important it was to really build a personal brand as a founder online. And because I never really thought that I needed the brand for myself, but now I see the brand is valuable for other people that don't have a brand like my team. Mm. It's just very interesting that you that you went from a position of I don't tell anyone to maybe I should tell my team to I'm going to put something out there publicly and ask for help. That feels like quite a journey. Yeah. And it was definitely out of my comfort zone, but I had just started, you know, in late 2016, I had started trying to be more present on social media and kind of like documenting my journey, you know. One of the things that was interesting is how how much more freedom you have as an entrepreneur. I remember when I was updating my LinkedIn profile when I worked at that corporation, I had a call from my boss and he was like, Hey man, are you, are you planning on leaving? What's up with the, you know, what's up with the changes on your LinkedIn account? And I was like, wow, it was like my personal brand was a risk to the company. You know, it was a threat. It was very interesting. And yeah, making that transition was, it was not easy, but not only was I able to replace all of those people's jobs, we grew the company from that one post. We went from worrying about 12 jobs to having to hire four or five more people. It was insane. How, how did it feel putting yourself out there? Man, I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's very hard to admit defeat. People want to be around successful people. It's like committing professional suicide to post that you're not doing well mentally business-wise, you know, God forbid, they're like, oh my God, they're having a mental breakdown. Look at them. And I think that that's something that's taboo, right? Probably why entrepreneur suicide rates are so high, just the pressure of feeling like no one really cares and you can't tell the world what's going on. You know, I won't lie. There was a time in 2016 when I left my job and I went to the Philippines and I remember looking over the edge thinking life would be better squished down there at the bottom of that of that building that I leased. I took a lease on a building that at the time I probably couldn't really afford, but I knew in my head that if I was going to grow the business, I needed it. So yeah, going through my head was people are going to judge me. Maybe people don't care. And uh, maybe it's going to be like those other posts that I make where the only person that likes it's my mom. So you go through this period of kind of like this week of just so that real real doubt, like not wanting to sh not wanting to share vulnerability, but then taking the step and actually doing it, having this really positive result. 
I'm, I'm curious as to how much of your experience when you were leaving your previous job played into your determination to really make sure that your team were looked after. You know, there was even times when I spoke to some of my, men- some of my mentors and there's just like, well, look, that's not your responsibility. That's not your fault. You know, trying to trying to walk me off the ledge. You know, like, hey, look, if it if it does fail, it's not your fault. But I just never accepted it. I never accepted it. And I have learned that in my business as a CEO, you know, I'm not the most qualified person to be the CEO of this company. <laughs> That's what I've learned. I've learned that I'm learning every day how to be the CEO of this company. I'm just the crazy guy that started this business, you know? And uh, I think that if you lead from compassion and if you think about how to create win-win relationships, in the end, things will work out. But it's not going to happen by accident. You have to be active. You know, like I have to constantly grow my team and not rely on a single big client. You know, sometimes I get lazy and complacent because I have a giant client who wants to build a team of 10, 20, 30 people or whatever. And I don't focus on growing the rest of the business because I know that over the next six months, the client's going to hire 30 people or 20 people. And typically we do five to 10 people, new hires, new clients a month. So if I have a client who wants to hire 20 over the next couple of months, you know, like I'm kind of like coasting, like, okay, cool. We're good here. We're, we're good on growth right now. Mm. So actually it's, we're saying it's quite easy to drift into a situation where you do have one dominant client because a client that does well, takes on more of your people, soaks up your growth potential because you can't grow faster than a certain rate. Yeah. It also re- removes your motivation to go out and do BD because it's kind of growth is taken care of. Yeah. But it can leave you in this situation where you've got 50% of your people in one client. Yeah, exactly. Well, if we go back quickly to that that moment, what feels interesting is that you could have gone one route, which was let the 15 people go, they take the hit, financially you've lost the revenue but actually you're 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 kind of you're probably okay or you focus on looking after them you expose yourself to more potential pain and vulnerability by going out there but actually got a better outcome so actually you you you, it became something which led to growth yeah and actually in my mind i was already willing and prepared and this is this is something that I don't take lightly, James. But I was prepared to pay their salaries until I got them jobs, which would have been a huge financial hit as well. And I've done that, you know, like even right now I've got about six or I always keep about remember I told you I get 5 to 10 new clients a month that need VAs. So I'm willing to float 5 to 10 team members that are not making me any money every month just to make sure I have inventory of people, people inventory. But it wasn't always like that because I wasn't profitable and I didn't have the teams and systems in place. And I definitely wasn't good at money management. Man, I think that's the real lesson, James, is like a lot of times we're very 
especially coming from the paycheck to paycheck world, you don't build that runway. You don't have that leverage because you're used to just getting paid and always having money. And there's times when you don't have money and you better have a damn plan. And my plan was American Express Platinum, <laughs> as my son calls it, the infinity card. The, the very expensive infinity card. Right? What's interesting with that with that runway building is that in some ways, from what you were saying, you could almost have seen that moment coming with you said the client that you had at that moment had been through several rounds of cuts with their suppliers mm-hmm. You were seeing those signs that you mentioned about people people changing within their team. Mm-hmm. But that still wasn't enough to bring the stick, the fear of the stick into play until it actually happened. Isn't that interesting? Think about all the things that I just told you about when I left my job. All those things, my dad, the miscarriage. It, like, it really takes a lot of pain for me to take action. I know that I am a creature of habit, for sure. And I don't... And I like, I, I don't want to say complacency, but I like, I don't like confrontation at all. So, you know, some people, their personality style, they like confrontation. I don't, I don't want to deal with things until the point to where I have to deal with things. So yeah, James, I would say that, uh, you know, as, as what, one of the things I've learned for this whole process is, especially as a project manager, we are always taught to expect the worst and hope for the best but i think that there's a lot of telltale signs that we can prepare ourselves for so that we're not in that situation but i keep putting myself there as recent as a month ago so i don't know what do you think causes this kind of high pain tolerance the fear of what happens when i confront it the fear of if things don't go right what if I make the wrong decision? It's kind of like that analysis paralysis. Like, okay, I've examined the things that could go wrong. What if I make the decision and it's wrong? And for me, sometimes I think maybe delaying the decision is the right decision, which it never is. Usually just exacerbates the problem. So the, the, the safety net of just saying, I, I won't make a decision. It, it'll, it'll get better. Okay, so... You've you've been through these moments. You've gone you've gone through sort of the transition from job to company. You've gone through this tough moment where you've where you've had sort of almost fifty percent of your your business be taken away from you within with thirty days notice, and you respond to that by growing. Where 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 have you got to now? So at that moment, you had about forty people working for you. Where are you today? Woo, we're at one hundred and seventy right now. You know, before 2020, I used to have to convince companies and, and entrepreneurs like why they should hire remote people. Obviously, since COVID and all that, that has been a non-existent conversation. You know, just people already understand the value of a remote team now. And I ended up getting picked up by entrepreneur.com. I have a column there now. So I write a lot about virtual teams and leadership and remote teams and an article that I wrote on entrepreneur.com went viral called the stigma of work from home is no more. Hmm. The reason why it went viral is just because it's true. 
it it used to be like you know like i i remember when i worked remote when i was working in the corporation like i was a remote project manager and all the people that were working from the office like you were treated differently and i remember my manager telling me when you go in there never tell them you work from the home office i was like really because you get treated differently you know um not that you still don't but you know but now people start seeing and realizing the value of working remote and that you can be productive and, and valuable as a remote team member. So with that said, you know, I've built a whole career about building remote teams before remote teams are cool. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Jeff, what have you taken from today? What has, has anything come out today that has surprised you? It hasn't surprised me because even on the pre-call, when we first spoke about the problem, you made me realize within the first like 10, 15 minutes of my habit of just letting things go until they hurt. And I do need to be more active in, I don't want to call it disaster planning, but I need to be more proactive in identifying risks that could set me back that sometimes are unavoidable and having a plan for that. And that's definitely something that you've helped me with already. Awesome. Well, Jeff, I really, really appreciate both the openness of everything you shared today and your time. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30 minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.